Binge drinking over the holidays can harm your heart. Some doctors observed that cases of atrial fibrillation, or an erratic heartbeat, occurred more frequently after holidays and weekends. They coined the phenomenon holiday heart syndrome. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. Mental health provisions are being increasingly discussed in end-of-year spending package negotiations on the Hill. Both Republicans and Democrats have expressed interest in tacking them on, and interest groups have been pushing for a variety of mental health provisions to hitch a ride. For example, the American Hospital Association is looking to Congress to bolster the care workforce and change behavioral health payment policy. Pfizer and BioNTech have asked the FDA to authorize their updated COVID-19 shot for emergency use for children under five. The Omicron-targeting vaccine would be the third in a three-dose series, but the first two shots would still be the original formula. The bivalent vaccine is currently authorized as a booster for those five and older. And ex-FDA employees say the agency's inspection office staff needs better training. Aaron Banco is here to talk about how the team overseeing licensed vaccine products became overwhelmed by high turnover and a backlog of inspections. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. So it sounds like there's some concern about the level of training at the FDA's office that oversees licensed vaccines and what that can mean in terms of being able to spot quality issues. Can you walk me through what your reporting found? So what we found is that the FDA's office, that's called Team Biologics, it's the office that oversees licensed vaccine products and other biological drug products, has a team of inspectors. And in that team, the training for those inspectors has really fallen off in recent years. And this is according to three former inspectors who spoke to us. Two of these inspectors had worked at Team Biologics for more than 15 years and talk to us extensively about what they see as a real lack of training for newer hires or people who have been brought on from other departments within the FDA. Mm -hmm. They're raising all sorts of issues, but sort of the biggest underlying point that these uh, former inspectors are trying to underscore is the fact that with this lack of training comes increased concern about the extent to which this office can still carry out these really critical inspections that include inspections of for example, COVID vaccine. Now, I I, I do want to make clear that these former inspectors say they are not aware of any instance where a contamination, for example, was missed, or that some sort of mishap happened in a manufacturing facility where they, they didn't, you know, catch it. They still say, obviously, the vaccines and the biological drug products are still very, you know, safe for use. But what they want to make clear is that if this training is not restored to the levels that they were when the team first started in the late 90s and the early 2000s, that they really could see something happening in the future. You know, some of this is a result of the pandemic, right? So because of the pandemic, there have been you know, virtually no in-person trainings for any of the inspectors on Team Biologics. Hmm. So these are all issues that the former inspectors have raised. What has the FDA said about this? So the FDA has acknowledged to Politico that they are aware that they need to spend more money to implement higher quality and just more more training in general. They've asked Congress for additional funding to do just that. They've also asked Congress for more funding to bring on just more inspectors in general. There's a huge backlog of inspections, not just for Team Biologics, but other offices at the FDA as well. And so the FDA is, you know, acknowledging that they, they sort of need to do more in this area. However, they did push back on 
claims and allegations made by these former inspectors that the training that the newer hires have is not rigorous enough. But again, they didn't provide any details or sort of answer any questions about exactly what training the people that have been brought on, let's say, in the last five years have received. Nor did they answer questions about, for example, if these inspectors had to, for example, pass out of, of certain levels to then progress on to the next level of training, if they had to achieve certain sort of standards within these educational courses. So we were left with a lot of sort of questions with the FDA that the agency just didn't answer in detail. And on another note, you mentioned in the story that pharmaceutical executives have sort of started to notice this lack of training. What have they picked up on and why is that significant? A couple of the people we spoke to on the executive and pharmaceutical side have said um, that they have noticed that some of the inspections that have been done by the team biologic staff have been not up to snuff, essentially, and that Mm. they have personally felt as though some of the people that are running the inspections or on the inspections, I should say, are not trained the way they used to be. So this brings up all sorts of questions for the pharmaceutical industry that raises real concerns for a pharmaceutical industry that's trying to get out a product. And then of the former FDA, senior FDA officials we've spoken to, they were all very well aware of this within Team Biologics and that this office in particular has really struggled to bring on new staff, to keep staff, to train that staff Primarily because a lot of these folks end up going into the private industry after a few years at the FDA for higher salaries. And so what they're finding is that these people are then ending up on the pharmaceutical side and don't have the training that they were supposed to have gotten at the FDA. So it's sort of a loop there. Do the concerns cut the other way also that this lack of training could, you know, allow pharmaceutical products to be greenlit that maybe aren't ready for the market? I think that's a concern among the former inspectors. After the issues that the FDA ran into with the baby formula plant, and I won't get into too much detail of this because it's not apples to apples, but the FDA report that came out after the fact was very broad and vague, quite honestly. But one of the things that it did point out is that this office, the food division, which is a completely separate division than Team Biologics, but that the food division mm-hmm. really needed to beef up its training and hire more personnel, more trained personnel. And so these are really similar themes to what Team Biologics on the licensed vaccine and, and biological drug product side is struggling with as well. So taking a step back a little bit, you know, what do you think these issues in the food and also the biologics offices, what does it say big picture about the FDA? You know, I can't compare offices because they just operate so differently. But I think we can make a couple of main points here. And that is that the FDA on the inspection side has really struggled to retain people, to hire people, and to beef up their training. They're really dealing with, uh, number one, a brain drain. And it's really hard to hire people into those vacancies Not a lot of people want to come work for the FDA right now. The salaries aren't great, and the people that are getting the jobs don't necessarily have experience. So I think the the agency as a whole really has to reevaluate, and and I think is in the process of reevaluating how they improve their staff overall. Well, thanks so much for making time today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks. We'll be right back.
The Milken Institute's Future of Health Summit is this week in D.C. It's the place to be for insights on where healthcare is headed. Joining me now is my editor, Sean Zeller. Sean, who are the lawmakers and officials that you'll be following most closely? Well, first off, I'm super excited that we're covering this. We're producing a special Future Pulse newsletter for each day of the conference. I hope readers of the newsletter will get a lot out of it. As far as the newsmakers are, who are going to be there, this is this is huge. I mean, this conference has all the big names. Today, for example, we have Janet Woodcock, who's the deputy at the Food and Drug Administration. She's going to be talking about clinical trials and how to improve them. This has been a big area of coverage for us, how to make clinical trials more diverse and bring in a greater array of people so that we can evaluate drugs better. Later in the week on Wednesday, we've got Robert Califf, the FDA commissioner, talking about drug innovation, the expense of drugs, the cost of drugs, how great new drugs can put a burden on our federal health care programs because of the cost and how to deal with that. We got Rochelle Walensky, the CDC head. She's going to be talking about the big agency overhaul. And we've got Bill Cassidy, who's coming in as the top Republican on the Senate Health Committee. And we'll be looking for what he has to say about improving cybersecurity in the healthcare space. And then on Thursday, we have Chiquita Brooks Lashur from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And we'll be closely watching her for any indication of what they're thinking on how CMS moves forward after the end of the pandemic, because the pandemic provided some crucial authorities for Medicaid and Medicare, where, as you know, Ben, they've They've greatly expanded access to virtual care and where that goes. So it's a full agenda, and we're going to be busy covering it. Definitely. Plenty to watch. And I, I think one other lawmaker that I'll be watching, too, is Fred Upton, who, the former ENC chair, who is retiring after this year and has pushed for uh, the Cures 2.0 bill as a follow-up to the 21st Century Cures Act. Um, we'll be interested to hear his thoughts on you know what its future may hold. Yeah, he's on Thursday as well, and he's departing at year-end. So his session is unscripted. We'll see what he has to say. He'll probably be able to be a little more, um, you know, less guarded about his speech because he's leaving. And his panel has also been a key player on the issue of health privacy. There was a big bill that was discussed in that panel this year that we'll see. Maybe he'll discuss whether it has it has legs going forward in 2023. And it's great this year. It'll be all in person. Last year I covered it and it was all virtual. So definitely looking forward to being back in person and hopefully meeting some of our listeners and readers. Yeah, that is huge and really exciting. And you see that in the conference agenda, which is really moving to post-pandemic. There's there's panels on long COVID, for example, and on avoiding future pandemics and on the ways in which the mRNA technology in our vaccines could be used for other diseases. But we're moving past that terrible phase of, yeah. you know, treating, um, you know, so many people suffering from, from COVID-19. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to be here. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Brooke Hayes are producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Amen is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. Pulse.